ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 48 of season 3 of the podcast. Here we go. You know I love you. You know it's true. by Gary Moore. A little blues music for you there. Um, raising the question today, uh, you know how I like to mess around with words, right? Like, what, what does that mean? What is that? Uh, purposefulness, right? Like, I don't even know if that's a word, but it sounds good, right? You know what I mean? Purposeful. What's purposeful? In sexual terms, the question I want to raise today is, is masturbation the opposite of purposefulness, (laughs) right? That's my, uh, that's, that's something I want to throw out on the table here. We'll, uh, we'll look at it, move it around and see what we think. All right. Before I do that, let's, uh, uh, play a little Louis CK from his, uh, TV show called Louie. I'll draw a little visual to help you, help you understand what, what you're hearing. Uh, it's a Fox News talking head show where you have two people on opposite end of an issue. You bring the issue up and then you let the people banter and, and argue about the issue. So in this, uh, you know, I don't totally agree with the way that they portray the Christian minister in this clip. You know, it's like we have to be against something. Um, there's that. There's also the purity um aspect of it, uh, purity in the Christian sense, and maybe this is a reformed thing, but it's a biblical thing. It comes from Isaiah 64 that says that even on our best day, um, we're not pure before God. Like the only reason we're pure before God is because of Jesus Christ. All right. So that's part of the Christian faith. We don't make ourselves acceptable to God by our behavior. So she kind of alludes to that a little bit in this episode. But uh, it's funny how uh, a, a comedy show is going to maybe have, the tide has turned a little bit on how Christians are perceived in this issue. And that's what I liked about this clip. What I liked about this episode, I won't give away anymore. Some of you may find this offensive. All right. I'll just let you know that. Now I was real apprehensive to play this clip, but you know, after some thought and prayer on the subject, um, I was as offensive, if not way more so than Louis in this clip. And the fact that I was received with love and grace over my angry reactions. There was ministers that let the power of love through the Holy Spirit win over their own righteous indignation. And that's why you're hearing my voice today, to be honest with you. Um, There's ministers that uh, received me well, and uh, that's part of my story. So I I sat in a pastor's office years ago not really sure I was a Christian anymore, right? Um, sitting there arguing with a pastor, a counselor, a guy who's trying to help me. And I sounded very much like Louis C.K. in this clip. I've also sounded like the 
minister in this clip when other people have come back at me. If you find this overly offensive, I would ask you to evaluate your heart, all right? There's a couple of reasons you may find this overtly offensive. Number one is that you don't live near a major city, right? A lot of you listening, maybe you're in the Bible Belt, in a small town, um, this is how people kind of talk in the city, especially about sex. Listen, Louis C.K. and guys like him are not the enemy, they're the battlefield, as my, my pastor friend Rick would say. Uh, number two, maybe you hang around too many Christians, man. Maybe you're just around too many religious people, and uh, you're, as Johnny Cash said, uh, you're so spiritually minded, you're no earthly good. All right. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you saying that, uh, take it up with Johnny Cash. All right. <laughs> That's a little song he wrote. Um, the, the, realize this, the show Louie, yeah, this is from season two, what you're about to hear. It's on season four now, something like that. It is a very adult show. Okay. It's on at FX at night. All right. Um, this is kind of a rated R type of show. It's not like Seinfeld, just to let you know. I don't agree with everything Louie does on the Louie show, just to put that out there. But uh, this episode really kind of touched my heart a little bit. So here you go. My next guest is the leader of a cause that I personally didn't know existed. It's a fight against masturbation. Ellen Favor is the president and founder of CAM, or Christians Against Masturbation. Ellen, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, pleasure. I believe that is the issue here. Is that what your group is against? Of course not. We believe God put us on the earth to enjoy life and enjoy the world he created for us. But why form a group against something like this? Thank you for asking me that. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think it was very important. But there are some people who would say, come on, it's just masturbation. I don't think of it as just masturbation. Frankly, I think of it as a tragedy. A tragedy? You mean like a tsunami or Rwanda? Yes, I think it's that serious. Because those events, while, while certainly tragic, affected only one region of people in the world or another. Well, masturbation is a crime against against God and against the person who does it to themselves. Young people all over the world are depriving themselves of the greatest gift that the Lord bestowed upon them at their birth. Their purity and grace in his eyes. Well, that's, that's very compelling. Let's bring in our next guest, comedian Louis C.K., whom some might describe as an aficionado of masturbation, a man who is well known for being a prolific masturbator, who even brags about it. Is that fair to say, Louis? Yeah, that's fair. In fact, you're the only person we could find who would come here to defend masturbation. Well, I like it. It's, uh, it's easy and it's fun and nobody gets hurt. Well, isn't that the point here, Ellen? With all due respect, uh, why do you care what a man does in the privacy of his own house? God cares. The Bible teaches us that lust in your heart is a sin when acted upon outside the context of marriage. Well, I'm not married, so anything I do is outside of that context. I'm not against having sex. I believe that the Lord put desire in your heart as a beacon for love. Well, it's the way that we can find someone and marry them and enjoy each other under his loving gaze. Wait a minute, you mean that God watches married people have sex? God watches over everything. So we're like porn for God. He watches us and then he probably masturbates. Okay, that is way out of line, Mr. CK. This, this young lady. That's all right. 
I know you're a comedian, so this is probably so funny to you. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's what's so sad, that you don't know the darkness that you live in. Oh, uh, no, I know the darkness. You don't have to live this way. There is a life of joy and passion waiting for you. If you just stop hurting yourself. How can you tell people not to masturbate? I mean, nobody can not do it. Since there's been people, all of them, every single person ever has masturbated. Napoleon masturbated. Gandhi, Joan Jett, uh, Shakespeare. Shakespeare, definitely. It's like telling people not to breathe. It's really, it's not fair. I pity you that you think that, that you can't not do it. Have you ever tried? Tried not to masturbate? Yes. Well, sometimes I won't do it for like a week, but that's just so that when I do it again, it'll be way better. But what if you really stopped? What if you saved that urge inside of you and, and thought of it as something sacred? And until you meet the right person and you love them and then you get married to them, and then you can give that to them as a gift that you've cherished and you saved. That's beautiful. Have you ever been married? No. I was married for nine years, and believe me, God was not smiling. And now you're alone. And you masturbate, and you're alone. You asked me, Louis, have you ever been married? Now I ask you, have you ever been happy? Are you happy now? How does your group get the word out? Uh, are there rallies? Where's the picket line for this? Oh, no. We have meetings. It's, it's like a town hall. We bring people together and inspire them to walk a path of purity. Hmm. You're welcome to come. I'd be happy if you did. Sounds like a lot of bullshit. Okay, we're ready to wrap it up you here. You know what really pisses me off about people like you? You think you could tell other people like you got the keys to how to be happy. You know, you don't know me, okay? And you don't know God. God probably hates people like you to try to tell other people what to do. Wow. Masturbating's really important to you. Yeah, it is. It keeps me sane. I'm a good citizen. I'm a good father. I recycle and I masturbate. And I'm proud of it. And, and God's happy. And later I'm going to masturbate and I'm going to think about you. And there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you do think about me. Uh -huh. I hope you think about what I said. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. Okay. Well, that concludes our show for today. Thank you both for coming. And thank you for joining us. And from our studio to your home, we bid you a fond good night. So Louie rips the microphone off and in a huff, you know, stomps off stage. And later on in the green room, he sees the, the minister. Hey. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I, I meant what I said in there. You should come to a meeting. You don't want me there. No, I really do. Come on. You can dismiss it or mock it. Just give it a try. Are you being serious? I'm serious. I wouldn't kid around about your soul. That's Louis C.K. If you go to fxnetworks.com slash Louie, you can find the times and dates that uh, Louie's show is on uh, on the FX channel there. Um, I say existential comic. Uh, I'll also say this. A part of his success, I think, is that he does 
have a thirsty curiosity for truth and he works that into his comedy and that's part why I think the guy is so successful. And while he'll poke fun at religion, right, and people of faith, he does it in a way that's more curious than it is, uh, you know, like I know everything and I'm judging you kind of a thing, which I, I dig about his comedy. Um, I don't want to label the guy by calling him an existentialist. Uh, it's probably the best way I would describe his comedy. But again, he, he seems to be more open-minded and awkward, and that's what's funny about him. Most comedians are funny because they're judgmental, right? They, they judge in a certain way that makes us laugh because it has some truth tied to it. And uh, that's what I like about Louis C.K. is he's, not, he's willing to be honest make himself look awkward and, and, and a little self-deprecating and I, I, I love Louis C.K. I do. Of course I don't always agree with him on everything. You know, I don't know why I have to say that, but what is existentialism? Some of you may be asking that. It's a philosophical term. Um, it basically can be defined as the interpretation of the meaning of our lives. Uh, one atheist college professor said that existentialism is a long walk off a short pier. <laughs> like, like that's our life. Um, it's kind of a kind of a dark way of thinking about it. But in most you know um, universities today, that's kind of what they're going to talk about when it comes to existentialism. It's really hard to define, but another kind of cool definition is coming up with easy to understand um, meaning to our existence and, and why we're here and what we're doing and the actions that we take as a result of what we think about our lives. Guys like Soren Kierkegaard or Friedrich Nietzsche are said to be uh, the grandfathers of existentialism, the precursors of existential thinkers. You could say the existentialist likes easy answers to tough questions. Right, that's another uh, de definition from me. It's not simply um, mentally masturbating over abstract philosophical conundrums, right? Or in Christian terms, it's not like the theology grad who, who's sitting around studying, talking about theology books, but, you know, someone who's actually out there um, playing the game, so to speak, I guess in Christian terms you could put it that way. Uh, you know, it's easy to study the playbook, and a lot of Christians do that, just sit around and study the playbook all day long instead of really um, getting on the field and understanding how other people think. Existentialism is usually looked at as the, you know, the negative side or the dark side of philosophy. Um, it, it really is kind of like mental masturbation, right? The, the thinker who isn't way too far into his head, right, thinks too much by himself, um, could be defined as existential. There's not a lot of emphasis on the social, right? There's not a lot of emphasis in existentialism on nurturing a healthy social life. Let's put it that way. Uh, it reminded me of, of social media. And one good thing about uh, technologies like Facebook, 
for example. Facebook's mission is to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. It's kind of the opposite of existentialism. It's right there as far as philosophy is concerned. The Christian existentialist is more concerned, I would say, maybe this is a negative term, but they would be more concerned with being able to explain the stranger or the person who's alien or foreign to them rather than getting on their level and, and trying to understand them. Uh, does that make sense? Anyway, that's, that's a quick definition from your host of existentialism. I did want to say something about masturbation after that clip. Um, there is nothing in the Bible that says that masturbation is evil or wrong or sinful, okay? Um, what can happen is it can become compulsive. The person, I, I'm, I know pastors who have talked about masturbating, right? That are uh, single guys. Um, they've been single all their lives and uh, talked about masturbation. Um, the Bible does have some things to say about purity, but when it comes to masturbation, um, Basically, it, it can be compulsive. This can be compulsive behavior. Uh, when you bring pornography into it, it can become addictive behavior. Um, PMO, as the uh, Fabstronauts on uh, Reddit, the NoFap site on Reddit, with over 100,000 people that are in that subreddit as, as taking part in the ultimate challenge, which is trying to rid themselves of PMO, pornography, masturbation, orgasm, right? Uh, taking on their sexual habits. These guys, you know, they'll talk about, hey, th yeah, this thing is owns me and I don't own it. And the part of the Bible that really reminded me of that, this piece of scripture also answers the question, well, if, you know, Jesus' blood it makes me pure, then I, I can do whatever I want, right? If the law has been you know, gone and done away with because of the blood of Christ, then can't we just do anything we please? Right? That's sort of what the Corinthians were, were asking Paul in context of this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Another one is uh, later on in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this verse 23, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but seek the other's well-being. Right? Looking out for one. As my heart goes out to the Fapstronauts on Reddit... Uh, this is just, this is not a Christian community, by the way. It's just people who are taking on the ultimate challenge of kicking pornography and masturbation. You know, the scripture that reminded me most of that is uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, which says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything, Right? being owned when your pornography owns you and you don't own it or that's a realization when when masturbation is running your life as in the, the, this episode where he's talking about um yeah it, it's something that you that that 
Again, God wants for us, like she said in the clip, he wants us to be joyful. He wants a good life for us. Masturbation has the power to take that beacon of love, like she said, and, and you know, the lampstand of love and just stick it in a drawer, right? Shut the drawer, just be all self-absorbed in our own pleasuring of ourselves. Does that make sense? We could be enslaved by that. If our habits have us, you know, locked into ourselves, self-absorbed in ourselves as we masturbate throughout life, right? It's just a very alone, dark place to be. And it had me thinking that that term, masturbation, goes deeper than just putting our hands on our genitals, right? Worldly regret, worldly sorrow, worldly guilt leads to death. But it's godly guilt that leads to conviction, redemption, bringing his name glory, making much of him over ourselves because he does do the saving work in our heart. That's 2 Corinthians 7.10. I'm paraphrasing. All right. Look that up. That's in the Bible. All right? Again, surrender. The first real heart-level step in kicking this thing is surrender. And getting over yourself, realizing that Jesus Christ really is enough. I was talking with my friend Leo. We were talking about the 12-step groups. And, and, and here's something that you may, some of you may find offensive, but it's something that I've absolutely seen as truth. Um, when we realize that all this rule-based religion and all this emptying ourselves of pleasure philosophy, that our discipline to do it maybe may just lead to more pride setting ourselves up for an even bigger fall in another way. I mean, the, the worst thing that I could think of is that I would kick sexual addiction and become an asshole. Right? I guess what the, uh, what the 12-step folks would call a dry drunk. Um, the fact that we would see our Savior and that God actually did walk among us did enter time and space, did call himself the Son, did pray to himself because he's in time and space, praying to the Father outside of time and space, that the Holy Spirit comes in and is involved in with us and is walking with us, and that we are not alone, we're never alone, and that if we let go of that prideful thing, right, Jesus didn't get in trouble because he said, oh, here's a way, right? Here's a way that you can go. No, he got in trouble because he said, this is the way, the truth, and the light. It's, it's not, we get in trouble when we say he is the way, the only way to God. Why is he the only way to God? Because you can't save yourself. And that's the point of the, of the cross. Uh quotes I wanted to read you on purpose. Um, what does it mean to be gifted? Um, the book that Rick Warren wrote called The Purpose Driven Life was the most, um, it's still the best, most best-selling book of all time next to the Bible. 
right? That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. And I think the title says it all. Actually, the book is called The Purpose Driven Life. What, here's the subtitle, what on earth am I here for? Question mark. Like that's something that is in our heart and there's something to that title that has us drawn towards, I wanna know, yeah, what, what is that, right? The purpose driven life, what does that mean? Because if my life had purpose, maybe I wouldn't be where I'm at. There's something to that. Realizing our giftedness has everything to do with purpose. I wanted to read you a few quotes that are in the book. Um, we are all products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. Forgiveness must be immediate, whether or not a person asks for it. Trust must be rebuilt over time. Trust requires a track record. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. Other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. If you want God to bless you and use you greatly, you must be willing to walk with a limp the rest of your life because God uses weak people. You weren't put on earth to be remembered. You are put on earth to prepare for eternity. If you have felt hopeless, hold on. Wonderful changes are going to happen in your life as you begin to live it on purpose. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with that right there. That's a good one. I'll leave it at that as we move into um, what it means to be uh, leave the nest, the proverbial metaphorical nest, stepping out into purpose. The voice you're about to hear is Nadia Bowles Weber. Uh, I snagged this off the interwebs, right? Like a chubby shoplifting kid in a candy store. I just stuck it in my pocket, <laughs> walked out, snagged it. So, but I'll give credit uh, where credit's due, right? Uh, Nadia wrote a book called Pastrix, which is actually a derogatory term for female pastor, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's called Pastrix, the cranky, beautiful faith of a sinner and saint. And I have that on the, um, on the homepage, on the website, by the way, if you want to check that out. Nadia Bowles Weber is a six foot one Lutheran pastor around the Denver area in Colorado. And uh, she was also a stand-up comedian for a time before she became a, a pastor, before she entered ministry, uh, which I found uh, very appropriate for this episode here. Uh, I believe it was Chris Garada who read before uh, Nadia came up to speak. So I'm going to read uh, part of... 1 Corinthians 12 from the Message Bible just to mess with any Bible police or translation Pharisees out there. <laughs> I'll, I'll read from Message Bible. I love this version. It's just contemporarily English. I don't always agree with everything Eugene Peterson says, but I do like this translation. Um, 
here you go. Starting in verse 4, God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is giving something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, miraculous acts, proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by one spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. That's uh, what I believe the pastor or priest or bishop or whoever it was <laughs> that introduced um, Nadia here in this little talk said before she did the talk. Uh, in this, what you're about to hear, uh, this is from a Episcopal church known as Calvary. Calvary Episcopal Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Right? Talk about right ground zero for <laughs> some of the some of the culture here in the United States. Downtown Memphis is a is a great place to be doing this kind of uh, preaching. I guess they were doing a preaching series called the Lenten Preaching Series there, and this church, at least in 2013, had different speakers from spiritual leaders all over the world. Um, every weekday at like noon and I guess they broadcast that on the web as well uh, but yeah I wanted to give those guys a plug and, and thank them for making this material available uh, here you go this is Nadia Bowles Weber talking about gifting what does it mean to be gifted Once when I was in seminary, my friends and I were talking about the gifts of the Spirit, like the ones that we heard about in our epistle reading for today. Wisdom, knowledge, healing, faith, discernment, etc. And trying to decide which gift we might have. When I realized how disappointed I've always been that snarkiness and sarcasm are never listed as gifts of the Spirit feels unfair to some of us. The church hasn't always done a great job knowing how to understand the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, some of my parishioners back in Denver were raised in Pentecostal churches where they felt dismissed or ignored for never having been slain in the Spirit. And so some of them told me they just resorted to pretending to speak in tongues so that they could belong, and then that just felt weird. But I think progressives don't do any better since we basically try and sweep the gifts of the Spirit under the liturgical carpet before they embarrass anyone. Like a good middle-class mainline Protestant, I tend to arrogantly look down my theological nose at all of it 
as superstitious snake handling nonsense as though it's really all the embarrassing spiritual equivalent of a monster truck rally. But as I was thinking about spiritual gifts, I started wondering what it means to say somebody is gifted. Because when we say someone is gifted at something, like how at our church we say that Jamie, our cantor, is gifted at singing, well, when we say that about someone, it usually means that they are naturally better at something in a way most people aren't. Like, you'd never say, wow, Bob is really gifted at breathing oxygen. (laughs) Because being gifted means having a special ability that not everyone has, which makes sense. A year ago, I had coffee with Kate Cash, a parishioner of mine. She'd recently started taking a yoga class and sheepishly mentioned that While she herself was new to yoga, she could kind of see herself teaching at some point. I said I thought that was a great idea and that, as a matter of fact, she should take a teacher training and teach yoga at House for All Sinners and Saints. Well, fast forward a year, and now Kate has already taught her first yoga classes at church. She comes in on Wednesday evenings, she lights some candles, she welcomes people, guides them gently through some simple poses, reads a psalm, and gives thanks to God. Those of us who were blessed by her class can tell you that Kate has been given a gift. Here's what would be weird, though. What if we, for some reason, all thought that having the gift of teaching yoga was the true mark of a Christian? I mean, that would be absurd, like if before joining a church you had to sign a statement of faith and prove that you can teach yoga. Of course not. We don't need everyone to have the gift of teaching yoga or healing or wisdom. We just need someone to have that gift. I mention this because Paul says that to each is given a gift of the Spirit for the common good. And the gifts he lists are awesome. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, discernment, miracles, prophecy. But the point is this. It all makes sense to me that we need some people who are wise and some who are discerning and some who have knowledge. But what struck me about this passage was that included on the list of gifts from the Spirit that some have and some don't, but are given to the good of the whole, is faith. Faith. The thing Christians torture themselves about having or not having, or having enough of. And unlike singular gifts of prophecy, or knowledge, or teaching yoga, we assume faith is the true mark of a Christian. Weren't most of us taught that we must as individual Christians have the right quantity and quality of faith? Yet faith is listed among all the gifts allotted to some people for the sake of the whole. In a way, it kind of takes the pressure off. That is not to say that faith is not important. Clearly it is. It's just that I think God doesn't necessarily give faith in sufficient quantity to individuals. 
I think God gives it in sufficient quantity to communities, which is really kind of beautiful. It's a real hang-up of a lot of people, maybe even you. You worry you don't have faith because you don't always intellectually assent to a sort of set of theological propositions, but what Paul seems to be saying is that maybe faith isn't everyone's spiritual gift. Maybe the Spirit creates more faith in some people so that others have the faith that they need. That feels like a blessed relief to me. Because sometimes we have to carry the faith for each other. No one has to do all the heavy lifting all the time. We talk about that sometimes at House for All Sinners and Saints, the church I serve. That like that story from the second chapter in Mark, sometimes we're the ones lowering our friends down through the roof to Jesus, and sometimes we're the ones being lowered. Because to Paul, all things are held together for the sake of the common good, as he says. And to us Americans, who practically had rugged individualism mixed with our mother's milk, that can be a hard thing to take. And I can understand this impulse since, as my mom likes to remind me, the first time I as a toddler strung three words together, it was do itself. But we come by this honestly, since one of our most idolized American writers, Ralph Waldo Emerson's most famous essay was titled, Self-Reliance, an ode to individualism and the sanctity of self-sufficiency. So much of the American ethos is based in this notion. Rugged individualism is seen as heroic, as though the goal in life is to somehow become a combination of Paul Bunyan, the unsinkable Molly Brown, and the Marlboro Man. Yes, we can do it self. We're raised to believe that to be strong is to be self-sufficient. To have freedom is to be autonomous. And to have faith is to alone believe all at all times and never waver. It's up to you to get her done. But that couldn't be farther from what we read today in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, which is why I think my friend Justin started to call Paul a spiritual socialist. But I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Because having to rely on the gifts of God given to our brothers and sisters, and then them having to rely on the gifts entrusted to us, is God's intention for those who bear the name Christian. We don't have what it takes to love God, to pray to God, and to follow God alone. And that's kind of beautiful, but it's not always easy. A few weeks ago, one of my parishioners was having some anxiety about facing the anniversary of some painful events in her life. And at the same time, she didn't want to make too big a deal of it. So I suggested that she choose a couple people that she's close to at church and ask them to carry it for her. 
ask them to carry the weight of the anniversary dates on her behalf so that she knows it's being done, but that it's not her who has to do it. She can lean into the gifts of the Spirit that the Spirit has granted her brothers and sisters, which have been allotted for the common good, which I believe in. And it's all so lovely until the next day when I had to do the worst thing in the world for a preacher, which is take my own advice. It's awful. That same week ended up being one of my more difficult weeks in recent memory. And I found myself having no choice but to rely on the prayers and the faith and the compassion of those brothers and sisters in Christ whom God has put in my life because, frankly, I was tapped out. Which is hard because I would so rather have all the gifts to myself and not have to rely on others. But when it feels like a failure on my part that I don't have the faith or the compassion or the prayer life that I need, I just have to remember that the only real failure is when I fail to recognize that I do actually have all the faith and compassion and prayer I need. It's just that someone else in my life is holding it for me. See, I believe that it is God's intention that we need each other. Not in a creepy, codependent, having no boundaries type of way but in a bearing the face of Christ to one another type of way. Because when I cannot see goodness, when I cannot see hope or beauty or the face of Christ in my own heart or in my own life or through my own eyes, I need you to do it for me. As the grains of wheat scattered on the hill are gathered into one to become our bread, so too the gifts of the Spirit scattered among our brothers and sisters are gathered into one to become our faith, to become our prayer, to become our compassion. Because it's as if This life of faith is a big jigsaw puzzle, and each of us have a piece, but the only way to see the fullness of God is to bring those pieces God has entrusted to each of us together and to then stand with one another, looking at the beauty of all of it, and say, the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yes, that was Nadia Bulls-Weber. Uh, at Calvary Episcopal Church um, at Lenten Preaching on Twitter if you want to follow them on Twitter to see when they start doing that again. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, different different speakers every day of the week during Lent weekdays. I love that message. Um, being who we are, right, on the edge of the nest, letting our hearts soar by the grace of God and just being alive. I love you guys. Um, Keep me in your prayers. I'll be praying for you. Thanks for praying for your host. It's the best way to support this podcast. 
just keep me in your prayers. Uh, God knows I certainly need it. Um, until next time, I'll uh, bump, bump you out with a bumper by the band Skillet. Bye. Yesterday is gone Faster than the blast of a carnival And when the scars heal The 